Good morning, family. So good to see you all on this beautiful, hot Sunday morning. But I must say, I would prefer a hot Sunday morning to a cold, frigid Sunday morning. Like the kind we were subjected to cruelly in Springfield, Missouri. So brutal, brutal. So I'm very thankful for the sun. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful you guys are here. We're going to be in the book of Genesis 28. Uh, if you haven't turned there already with the reading, then I encourage you to turn there. We'll be in 10 through 22. While you're turning, a brief story from my childhood. If you have teenagers, you'll want to cover their ears as I don't condone what's about to happen. Uh, I remember as a young teenager, uh, with one of my, my best friends, we, we would have these like sleepovers, and I would spend the night there, and, and we're in high school, and we went to different high schools in, uh, in Georgia, and I remember we thought we were just so cool, man, like this, we, we were it, man, we were the cat's meow, man, and so what we would do is we would just, uh, we snuck out one night uh, during a sleepover, so his parents went to bed, and uh, anybody ever do anything like that? Don't, don't raise your hands, teenagers. Uh, parents, you can raise your hands, but teenagers don't raise your hands, all right, if you value your life, right? So uh, we snuck out one night, and we just thought we were so cool, man, and we went, and we terrorized the town. I won't say what we did, but we were just terrors. I'm sure the police were getting calls, like, all over the place of the things we were doing. Um, and and we, so we stayed out till probably, like, four in the morning or something like that, and then we snuck back in. We laid in bed, and then we acted like we got up, and everything was all, gee, right? We're all good. And, and so his parents, and <laughs> the next morning, his dad is a big, big guy, big teddy bear, except for teddy bears can turn into grizzly bears really fast, right? Um, so the big dude, and he's like, what'd you guys do last night? <laughs> Just roping it in, man, and... Uh, course, we're like, oh, you know, nothing, we stayed up late, and went to bed, and blah, 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 and, and uh, he's like, is that all you guys did, and yeah, and, oh, man, we got it after that, <laughs> checkmate, right, and then he's like, well, I woke up at this time, and you guys weren't there, and, well, and anyways, yeah, so we were caught red-handed, and he just straight up, it was, it was not fun, <laughs> it was not fun, we deserved everything that happened after that. Um, but I remember it was a long time before I, I got to go see my friend again. Um, I tell you what, we suffered consequences. I had consequences from that. He had consequences from that. All consequences as a result of our own doing. And uh, anybody ever been in something like that? Anybody ever been in that place? Not sneaking out, all right, but just hard times because of your own consequences. Action, reaction. Sneak out, get caught bad things, right? And this is kind of exactly where we find Jacob in our passage today. Uh, if you remember, this section of Genesis, probably from about 25 and on, is really getting to the heart of the Genesis narrative. It's climaxing, if you will, to God beginning to fulfill his promises and make good on his word to Abraham, and ultimately to Adam and Eve, to bring forth a man born of the woman to reverse the effects of sin and unrighteousness in this world. To reverse the effects of death. 
And now we're getting to kind of the culmination in this portion as God has in chapter 25. We have two twins now, Jacob and Esau. And you guys remember last couple of weeks, two, three, four weeks, it was Jacob, the younger brother, who was chosen to have the birthright and the blessings and the promise, not the older Esau. But yet, his father still acted as if Esau, the firstborn, was going to get the blessings and the promises. And so that led Jacob and his mom, if you remember, to deceive and lie and scheme. And, and Jacob, not once but twice, stole the birthright and the blessing from his older brother Esau. And now what happened is, ha, 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 this is a great plan. This is going to work out awesome. I'm going to get all everything. He's going to get nothing. Moron. All right, Jacob is a moron. Why? Because in the very beginning of this narrative, what is Jacob doing? He's out in the middle of nowhere, and I mean the middle of nowhere, sleeping on a rock. He has zero money. He's exiled from his family. His brother wants to murder him and comforts himself with his thoughts of his death. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. Yeah, he's got the birthright and the blessing, but right now that's about it. He doesn't even have a pillow. He's using a rock to sleep his head on in the middle of nowhere. And in all of this, all of this, all of this, God is working, working, working to fulfill his promises in the most mysterious and odd of ways. Jacob's all alone. He's in a rough place. Tim Keller said it like this. You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Jacob was about to learn this firsthand. He was about to check this out. So maybe you're in a similar circumstance this morning. Maybe you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. I pray that the Lord would in this time, today, in your life, whatever that looks like today that you'll see and you'll say at the end of this, Jesus is all I need. All I need. Let's pray and we'll get rolling. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we need you, Father. Lord, we desperately need you. Lord, the last thing I want as a pastor, the last thing I want as a father as a husband, as a friend, is to gain the whole world or for my people to gain the whole world and lose their own soul. Lord, I pray that your word now would be words of hope, words of encouragement, words of pointing to Christ as ultimate. Lord Jesus, that we would realize by the end of today that Christ is all we need and truly all we have. Lord, may we treasure that. May we rejoice in that. May your word land with power in spite of my weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we will have three points. It'll be very, very easy. And actually, the text makes it easy because there's three sections in this particular passage. So our first one will be the dream. The second point will be the response. And the third will be the vow. 
dream, response, vow. So if you're taking notes, that's it. Uh, I hope it will be very easy to follow along. The dream, verses 10 through 15. A few things we notice right off the bat. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, or actually it would be Keran in the original. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay it down in that place to sleep. You notice there are very few things. Did you notice anything important there? Not yet, because what the author's doing is he's paving the way for a really important thing that's going to happen by the end of the dream. And one is you see that repetition of the word place, 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 place. And you're like, why is that significant? It's not yet, but by the end of the story, that place is going to be renamed, so to speak. Right now, it's just an ordinary place in the middle of nowhere. Abraham had been there before. His, his father Isaac had been there before. And now he is there before. But what's going to happen by the end of this is this is actually the future site of Bethel, or Bethel, which literally means house of God. You say, why is that significant? Because one day the temple is going to be built in this very place. Awesome. All of it just coming together. What starts as an ordinary nothing place, one day will have the very temple of God standing. God will make good on his promises. And then we see him sleeping on a stone. Like I said, man, this is just bad. It just shows you the extent to which he fled. He actually fled from his brother Esau who wanted to kill him. Have you ever had anybody want to kill you? Anybody ever anybody want to kill you, literally kill you, okay? I have. It's not a fun feeling, and you don't like to stick around there for very long, all right? When people want to kill you, you leave, and you don't think about things like pillows. I'm going to kill you. Okay, hold on. Let me just get my pillow. It's not what happens, right? You, you get out of there, and that's exactly what Jacob did. And you remember, what was his brother Esau? What did he excel at? Hunting, <laughs> right? Do you think he would hesitate to employ that skill or trade in hunting his brother? No, not at all. I think he would take great joy and pleasure in excelling in that trade at that time. So Jacob wastes no time, and he's out there. It's dark, scary, sleeping in the wilderness. Anybody ever sleep in the wilderness? Just Anybody ever do that? It's kind of nuts, man. Like, you start seeing things, right? It's freaky, and it's no freak. It's different, you know. It's the same for him. He's out there sleeping on a rock in the middle of the wilderness all alone, and all of a sudden he has this dream. And we're going to talk about the dream in a minute. One pastor said correctly, I think. He said, uh, this is a famous passage of Scripture. It's called Jacob's ladder, right? It's super famous, uh, and you, you know the importance of this dream in the Bible because a guy named Led Zeppelin wrote a song about it, all right? That's why it's important. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You guys are like, what? No. No, this is a very important dream, and Jacob has it. We'll talk about the dream. I want to make a statement first here real fast because we live in a very experience-oriented culture, my experience, if something happens to me, it must be true because, well, I experienced it and I know that thing is true. And so I will gauge all other true statements or experience based off my experience of what I know is true. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Randy? Here's the thing. We have lots of people today who say, 
man, I had a dream, and God talked to me in this dream. Or he appeared to me and said this, or this, and this. And I talked to people all the time, or I had this vision while I was sleeping. And I'm serious, this happens often. And in that moment, I have to decide, do I put my pastor hat on and say, oh, tell me more? Or do I put my crazy hat on? I'm going to get you help. I have to make that decision right then and there. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews 1 says, God in days gone past has spoke to our fathers and the, by the prophets in many ways and in many different forms and times, and, and he spoke to them in all these ways, but in these last days, get that, the contrast, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Why is that significant? Because why are we looking for dreams and we have flesh and blood, concrete, historical person of Jesus Christ? He is the ultimate and final revelation of God. And so we don't seek out dreams like this anymore. These are not the normative or even the primary way that God speaks to his people. And they never have been the primary or normative way that God speaks to his people. You catching that? There's thousands, literally probably millions of Jews who lived their whole lives for all these thousands of years, and they never got to see a vision or a dream. This is a very, in Scripture, a very small percentage of Israelites and prophets throughout all of redemptive history. And yet today we seem to have people seeing dreams and visions all over the place and referring to them constantly, even when they blatantly contradict Scripture. Now, let me just balance a little bit. So, Pastor, are you saying that God never could never speak to people in dreams? God can do whatever he wants. He can do as he pleases. That's the point of the fact that he's God. So could he? Absolutely. The question is, does Scripture give us any indication that he does that normally or primarily? No. His word, his word is inspired, has been kept, has been preserved for his people, and ultimately it all points to Christ. And so I'll say this, even if he does give a vision or dream, that dream can never ever contradict his word or point to something other than Christ. I had a woman who said she wanted to divorce her husband one day, and we were talking to her about the scriptures, and she said, but he told me in this dream, I had this dream, and it said this was what I was supposed to do, and that's Satan. It's ridiculous. God will never contradict his word, period. So, in excursus on dreams, we'll talk more about dreams when we get to Joseph. So Jacob has this dream, Jacob the patriarch, and he sees in this dream, what does he see? He sees a ladder, a staircase. Some, your translation might say ladder. Some other translations might say staircase. Better translation is probably staircase over ladder. He sees this ladder, and he's, it's, it kind of, before we even get to what is happening, it recalls the Tower of Babel. This ladder connects heaven and earth. It kind of recalls the Tower of Babel. You remember the narrative, Genesis 
10 and the, the languages of people were all united and they said, let us, let us build the tower up to the heavens. Kind of recalls that. And here's the idea in scripture, this ladder, this idea is that you can never, and this is important for us today, okay? This is you today, flesh and blood. You can never build your way up to God. The Tower of Babel was man's efforts, man's works, man's power, or humanity, if you want to be politically correct, right? All of our feeble efforts to make our way up to God. That can never happen. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to do it. It just won't work. The scripture's ideas is that heaven has to come down to you. You don't get there from bottom up. You get there from top down. It has to come down. So we sing hymns like this. You guys know this old hymn? Heaven came down and glory filled my soul, filled my soul. Right? You guys know the echo, right? When at the cross the Savior made me whole. Right? You guys would know, right? Made me whole. Heaven comes down. We don't go up to it first. It comes down. And so this is what it recalls, this, this ladder coming from heaven connecting the earth. And he sees this it's a staircase. And in this staircase, he sees the angels ascending and descending. Wow. Can you picture? This is a majestic dream. I can't even paint this for you. I'm not talented enough with my words to give you word pictures enough to paint the magnitude of what Jacob is seeing right now. The text tries. It's not up there right now, but the text tries in this series of behold, a ladder, behold, angels, behold, the Lord himself is above there. It gives you the sense of, it's like, oh, look, a ladder, or a staircase, and there's angels on it. It's the Lord himself standing above it, speaking, and he's going to say something. The text is trying to build this up. I couldn't even do it adequately to, to, to demonstrate for you what Jacob's seeing, probably how fearful he is, because the very next, at the conclusion of the dream, it says he was filled with Fear and awe, because what happens when you see angels? Is that something you get excited about? Not initially. If you look at the, all the angel encounters in the Bible, what's normally happening with angels? They come because generally they're on a mission to judge and pour out God's wrath. Sodom and Gomorrah was the, one of the last times we saw angels in this book. And what they do? They laid waste. That's also why one of the first few things angels say when it's like, I'm an angel, fear not. <laughs> Don't be afraid. They have to prelude with that because you're going to be like, oh, these guys have been in the very presence of the glory of God himself face to face. And if they come in contact with sinners, what do you think happens? Your sin is immediately felt if they allow this. And so Jacob is seeing angels. It'd be terrifying. It'd be a terrifying dream were it not for God speaking to him kindly. And so you get this sense, this sense of intensity, this sense of awe, this sense of wonder, and then God speaks. And what does he speak to Abraham, to, sorry, to Jacob? 
he reconfirms the promises that he gave to Abraham, his grandfather, to Isaac, his father, and now to Jacob. Why is this so amazing? Because Jacob is a thief. He's a punk. He's a fraud. He's a schemer. He's not the type of person, if God was going to come to, you know, okay, guys, I'm taking interviews for who I'm going to give my promises to, people all the earth, right? You would think, okay, maybe Job or Noah, who was righteous, and, you know, all these great heroes of the faith. David was pretty solid until that whole thing happened with Bathsheba, right? All these guys, these wonderful people. Give me guys like that. (laughs) Here it is. The lying, deceiving, scheming, insecure younger brother Jacob, who lied to a blind his blind father and ran away with the blessing. Yeah, perfect. That's the one. That's the guy I'm gonna confirm my promises to. Praise God. Does that not give you hope? Because aren't you, I mean, that's us. We're screw-ups like this. If it were perfect people that God used all the time, like Noah's, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he was a righteous man altogether. He was known. The Bible is just full of perfect people and perfect patriarchs that had perfect promises. That would be the most irrelevant book. I wouldn't want to read it. Jacob's a screw-up. And in the midst of his loneliness and fleeing, God comes and reconfirms his promises. And know this, forever now, after this incident, forever, the way God will relate to his people is going to be, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Forever, you get your name written down as God. This is how God identifies himself with you. I hope you're seeing the parallels with the church today. I hope you're thinking along those lines, connecting dots. God identifies forever his character with his people. And then notice another thing. Jacob has a dream about God, this vision that God comes and he speaks and reconfirms all of his promises to him. Notice something, that Jacob isn't out looking for God when this happens. Was he? Was he out there like, oh man, God, I need you, I'm lonely? No, he just, he's fleeing, he's reaping the consequences of his actions, and he's out there sleeping on a rock in the middle of nowhere, and what happens? God comes to him. He's not seeking God. The Bible says nobody seeks after God, Romans chapter 3. And so we speak incorrectly and unbiblically when we say things like, Oh, man, I have this friend, and they're seeking God. Oh, man, they're just looking for God. That's not true. They're not looking for God. The Bible says nobody looks for God. You say, well, what are they doing? They're looking for what God can give them because by nature we're all idolaters. But do they want God himself? No. Nobody seeks for God. And this is, what we, this is salvation. God had to come down and look and find Jacob. 
If God were not seeking us, we would be utterly lost and stuck in our problems and in our unbelief, just like Jacob. The good news, though, is that God is seeking. John 4, Jesus says to the woman at the well, the Lord is seeking worshipers. Seeking. God is seeking. If you're here this morning, God is seeking you. If you came to Christ, God is seeking you, and he's seeking you all the days of his life. Or as Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me or pursue me all the days of my life. That's God's promise to you. So God sought Jacob. God always seeks first. It's the dream. He reconfirmed all of his promises to him. Number two, the response. What is Jacob's response to this dream? The first thing he wakes up and pretty much says is, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Surely God is in this place, and I didn't even realize it. What's the significance there? That's how it is in life, right? You're in a hard time. Trial, tribulation, hardship, strife, conflict surrounding you, and you feel helpless and alone, a lot like Jacob. And then one day, when it's all said and done, you can look back on it, and you say, wow, God's hand was just all over that. I didn't even see it at the time. The challenge is being able to see his hand in the midst of it. For that, you have to have the eyes of faith trained. So Jacob sees this and says, man, surely God was in the midst of this. All of it, all of it. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you could see what the million, literally millions of things God was doing in your life all around you at the time, no matter what your trial, you would be worshiping. You would be worshiping because God is for you. He is for you. He's in field with fear. It says he was full of fear, and, and he said, this is awesome. <laughs> That's what some texts say. This is just awesome. That's the same word, fear. He's trying to just grasp this. Jacob is stunned. He's stunned at what just happened. And then he goes and he sets up a memorial for this place and renames it Bethel, which is house of God, right? Wow, this place, it was just an ordinary place, but because God was here and I met God here, it's now a sacred place. It is his very house, the gate of heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is how it is for us. When Christ breaks into your life and just rearranges everything, things that were once ordinary are all of a sudden sacred, special. I still remember the very first, the, the camp I was at, the seat I was sitting in when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I remember exactly where I got baptized. I remember what the water felt like. I remember all of it because things that were once ordinary were now sacred, and you have a degree of, man, and one day your children will look, and they'll see that sense of feeling you have, and they'll say, Dad, what is this picture here, or what is this old Bible thing? I have, like, this thing that I click on, and I turn on, but I don't know what this book is here. What is this? They'll say, that's a Bible, right? <laughs> You're, you'll, you have these things, or why do you keep that old ratty book over there? Just get a new Bible, because, son, that was my first Bible. Right? Things that were once ordinary are now sacred. And that's actually not just things. That's you yourself. You who were once ordinary, cut off, 
separated from God, no meaning or purpose in life. He comes in. You are united with Christ by faith. You are no longer ordinary. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Your bodies are sacred now. Everything about you is belonging to God. That's how God works. So that was Jacob's response. We could go more. We're going to go number three, the vow. The vow. I'm going to read that for you just so it's fresh on your mind. It's only three verses. Uh, verse 20 and on. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, catch this, all right? So God just promises on his own character who he is to do these things for Jacob. And this is his vow back in response to God. It's not good, by the way. Jacob made a vow saying, if. Such a loser, <laughs> If? Is that how you're going to answer God with an if? The very first thing you're if? If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God or Yahweh shall be my El. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. You just want a face palm. Kind of reminds you of Peter, doesn't it? Peter who just opens his mouth. Peter, just shut up, man. Right? Jacob is the only one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the only one to make a vow like this. Brothers and sisters, if is not the words of faith. If are not. It's not the way faith speaks. God says, I'm going to do this, and you say, well, if you do this, then I'll do it. One, one commentator said, Jacob was still more scoundrel than saint. Right? God is working in Jacob. He's going to make Jacob a totally different guy, but at this point, he's still falling to old Jacob styles. Man, I'm going to wheel and deal with God. God, okay, you do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give you a tenth. The God who just laughs and says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. If I needed something, I wouldn't ask you. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a good vow, but this is how he responds. And he responds with conditions. Brothers and sisters, when God gives us his very promises, we ought not be like Jacob and say, well, God, if you'll be with me, then I'll do Brothers and sisters, his promises are based on his very character himself who says, I will never leave you until I have done all that I have promised to you. These promises are everywhere repeated in the New Testament. And he says, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I have. This is actually, if you remember, Abraham paid how much to Melchizedek? A tenth. And now you have Jacob saying, I'm going to give a tenth of everything I have back to you. So what's happening is we're, we're seeing already way early in the book of Genesis where the law is going to come in later in, from Moses and God's going to command his people to give a tenth of all their first fruits and things like that back to him as an offering. Amen. Now what's going to develop over the course of the, the nation of Israel, you're like, whoa, how do we get to Israel from Jacob? If you're new with us, Jacob gets his name changed to Israel in a few chapters. We'll talk about it after a WWF wrestling match and, uh, 
and, and everything's different after that, all right? But his name is Israel, so that's how we got from Jacob to Israel. So Israel, the nation, will later have a bunch of laws, just like we have laws in Maui. They have county codes, we have to pay taxes, blah, blah, blah. Some people don't pay taxes and then get arrests and tickets and blah, 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 right? So they're going to have a tax system set up, and their tax system is going to end up being actually not a tenth, but close to 30% of their income will be taxed for various reasons at different times of the year. And you see this already starting to be laid. Now the question comes, well, Christian, what do you give? Let me just say it is expected that Christians give. And I'm not, this isn't a message on money, and I'm not all about money. I'm not trying to, like the big rich pastor, right? Creflo dollar in the news, trying to get a big million dollar jet. Right? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, big, big, big bucks. And I, that's not what I'm about. I ride a bicycle around everywhere, all right? That's, that's not what I'm going for. It's, it's, a, it's a cougar bicycle, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I drew a cougar on it, right? No, that's not what it's about. What it is is there's a direct connection between your heart and your wallet. And the Bible says that where your money is or where your treasure is, rather, there will your heart be also. And so it's expected, and we'll talk about giving one day, but I'll just mention it briefly, that all Christians, all Christians are giving. You say, well, what's a good standard? Well, 10% is a good start. But as we saw in Acts chapter 4, they gave everything they had. They give sacrificially. For somebody who makes $300 million, you know what, 10% is probably like a drop in the bucket for that person. Give sacrificially. For somebody who's living on Social Security, 1% might be a lot, right? Give sacrificially. And that's, that's what we teach. Give till it hurts, literally. If it's not hurting, you're probably not giving enough. Say, oh, snap. See, pastors, that's why I don't come to church, because pastors always talk about money. And if, if, you're, if that's your heart, brothers and sisters, or if that's kind of your inclination to say that, hear me saying this, I don't want a dime from you guys, all right? I don't want you to give anything. Don't give anything. I want to give you Christ. I want to give you Christ. I want you to drink deeply at Christ. Don't give us anything until you've done that. That's what I want. For the rest of you... Me included, man, just give, give, and you will see a blessings, blessings and graces. You see the gospel go forth because of your work. And you guys are giving people. You are. Let me say that. You guys are giving people, man. I just love you guys. You guys give awesome, and, and we just want to grow in this. And last, we're going to observe, where is Christ, right? This is what we do, right? This is Christ. Where is Christ and Jacob's ladder? Where is he at? Did you guys spot him? Did you see it yet? Some of you are like, you guys know now to expect this, right? Because we go through these stories and we always see, okay, where's, where's Jesus here? We're not trying to manufacture things or be allegorical and say the stone is Christ that he slept his head on. And when you sleep on Christ, you will see Christ, God in his, you know, we're not going that route. That's not what we're doing. Okay, does the New Testament connect things for us and tell us where Jesus is? Yeah. Where is he at in here? The book of John, chapter 1. If you remember two guys, Jesus is assembling his A-team, so to speak, right? His, his, really, his A-team, that's really a bunch of rugged dudes, a lot like Jacob. And he's assembling his disciples. He's calling Andrew and Peter and John. We're going to be in John, chapter 1, verse 40-ish, okay? And 50, don't read it yet. You're going to read ahead if you don't know the ending, all right? So 
he calls this dude Philip and Nathaniel. So Philip actually goes and he sees Jesus and, and he goes very excitedly to Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, the one of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets. We found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And do you remember Nathaniel's reply? What? Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And what did Philip say? Come and see. So Nathaniel walks with Philip to go see Jesus, and Jesus sees him coming from afar, and he says, Behold an Israelite, in whom is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, how do, how do you know me? And Jesus says, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel falls down at the feet of Jesus, my Lord and my God, right? The, the Messiah, Jesus, truly you are the king. And Jesus replies, because I said I saw you under a big tree, will you believe now? That's, that was enough to make you believe? This is Jesus' response, John 1, 51. And Jesus said to Nathaniel, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open." And the angels of God ascending and descending on what? The Son of Man. What did Jesus just refer to right then? He just referred to Jacob's staircase. It's a, almost a direct quote of what Jacob saw in his dream. What is the point? You will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the staircase? No, on the Son of Man, Jesus. What are you saying, Jesus? What's he pointing out? Jesus is the connection between God and man. Jesus is the true temple, the true house of God, the true meeting place where sinners encounter a holy God. He is the true and only mediator between God and man, Jesus. Amen. And it is my prayer, brothers and sisters. That's what he's saying here. You'll see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It means you will no longer go to a temple. It is Jesus that all the blessings of God come down in. If you want to connect with God spiritually, religiously, physically, any type of Lee, you have to come to Jesus. It just, it's impossible outside of Jesus. You can't have God and not have Jesus. can't do it. It's impossible. If you were to come to me and say, Pastor Randy, I really like you and I love you, but your son is a punk. You're probably going to get punched in the face, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to get punched in the face, right? But we're not going to be friends. We're not going to be good friends because you can't reject me. And, and if he was a punk, that would be different, right? But he's not. And so you can't reject my son and expect to have good relationships with me especially when I have given all authority over to my son. And he speaks on my behalf. To reject my son is then to reject me. To accept my son is then to accept me. Brothers and sisters, the connection between heaven and earth, 
Where did heaven come down? It came down in the person and the work of Jesus, and we celebrate the incarnation on Christmas morning when God came down. That's what Jesus alludes to here. Jesus, I pray, I don't know who you are this morning. I don't, you know, some of you are visiting for the first time. I would be amiss if I didn't ask you at least, brothers and sisters, are you coming to God through Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus? And here's my prayer. Some people have spent their whole lives in church and they've missed Jesus. My prayer is that you would see Jesus this morning and just like Jacob say, surely God was in this man and I didn't even know it. And brothers and sisters, here's the big idea. Jesus is the staircase that connects God to humanity. It's impossible any other way. Christian, member of our church, Christian visiting with us, what's the, what's the word to you? God's word to you now is the same as it was then. And I quote, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. All of the promises of God. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And remember, if you're in that hard place today, whether individually or if the Lord leads us there collectively as a church, sometimes God leads whole churches to hard places. One day he'll probably do that. Probably many days he'll do that. When he leads us there collectively as a church, may we say together with the eyes of faith, God is in this place. God is in this place. And hold fast to those promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ who reconciled us to you. Lord, thank you for Christ who now lives and intercedes on behalf of sinners like me and like Jacob. And Lord, I pray if there are any in here who find themselves in that hard place, they feel alone, they feel cut off from you, they feel hopeless, Lord, may you... Grant them to see the eyes and the beauty of seeing Christ and that they would turn from their ways and trust in him. And Lord, may they know your presence is always where Christ is. So we praise you for your word. Would you draw many people and encourage us with your word? In Jesus' name, amen.